0: Super excited about hooking into my first rainbow of the season. come on there's not enough cheering here. Who's excited now what's the most important thing about fly fishing catching bigger fish than your friends exactly and the way you do that the way you do that is get get the fly in front of the fish and so if you fail to do that it doesn't matter if you've got the, a pretty uh, what, what happens out of the water is kind of irrelevant. Who cares if it's 10 to 2 and newspaper underneath? Oh, yeah. If you can't put the fly in front of the fish, you're not going to catch fish. You got to keep the main thing the main thing. And you might look sloppy, but if you accomplish uh, getting the fly in front of the fish, well, you're going to be successful. We're in a series on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, it's called Blessed. And One of the things that the Beatitudes does for us, it helps us keep the main thing the main thing. These are the core values of Christ's kingdom. Jesus is saying, look, you want spiritual life to proliferate? If if you want to, to grow spiritually like a weed, then focus on these eight attitudes and actions, and they will produce tremendous results in your life. And so the Beatitudes help us keep the main thing, the main thing. Do you want to grow spiritually? Uh, Do you want to make significant progress spiritually? Well, Jesus kind of gives us uh, the the attitudes and actions that we should prioritize in our lives. Do we prioritize these things? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read the first 12 verses. In fact, we're going to be in These 12 verses for eight weeks. This is week two. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are these the core values of your life? What are, what are you seeking to cultivate first and foremost in your own life? Is it poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness? hunger and thirsting after righteousness, mercy, being a peacemaker, being pure in heart, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Is this what you aspire to? Well, Jesus says, you should because you will be blessed. These are the eight attitudes and actions that uh, are guaranteed to bring about God's blessing in your life, and they all have corresponding promises that we want at work in our lives. So, today's Beatitude is verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does that mean? What does it mean to mourn? Well, everybody, everybody in the world suffers loss and, you know, grieves it. So, is Jesus saying everybody who experiences loss is blessed? I don't think so. These are the values of Christ's kingdom. Uh, I think he means something much more specific than that. Well, to get at the meaning, let's uh, really quickly review types of mourning in the Bible. First off, we see people in the Bible mourning the death of loved ones. Think about Abraham. He mourned the death of his wife, Sarah. We read in Genesis 23, verse 2. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We see people in the Bible mourning the weakened state of the church. Nehemiah, the prophet, when he heard that Jerusalem's walls were uh, in disrepair and that the remnants of Israel were not faring well. We read in Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In the Bible we see people mourning the moral failings of other Christians. The prophet Ezra, when he heard that some of God's people had married unbelievers, and were therefore defiling themselves and the nation. Ezra chapter 9 verse 3. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, you should be mourning the sin in your camp. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, And of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. In the Bible, we see people mourning violence done against the righteous by the wicked. Hezekiah has just listened to the uh, threats of the Assyrian king. He's marched into Judah. He's done damage, he's at the gates of Jerusalem, besieging it and promising he's going to tear it down and kill everyone. 2 Kings 19.1, as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. In the Bible, we see people mourning personal loss due to the sin of other people against them. I think of Amnon and Tamar. She was raped by her cousin, Second Samuel 13:19. and Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore, and she laid her, head, her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she wept. And finally, in the Bible, we see people mourning their own sin and its spiritual consequences. Think about the Israelites. When God told them, you know, because there is sin in the camp, I'm not going with you personally anymore into the promised land. I'll only send my angel. Exodus 33, 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. The apostle James tells us we should mourn our sin because that leads to healing. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. In Ecclesiastes 7 4, we are told that the wise mourn. 7 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So, what, is, what does it mean to mourn? Blessed are those who mourn. I think we can get at a definition now, and it's this Those who mourn are those who grieve the destructive power of sin in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around them. It's not just mourning loss. It looks beyond the loss to the, to the reason for the loss, which is sin. Like Sin is the reason people die. Sin is the reason people do bad to other people. It's the reason there's brokenness and shame and hurting in our world. And blessed are those who mourn. Jesus said, blessed are those who who grieve the destructive power of sin in their lives, in the lives of other people and in the world around them. So it's not enough to just grieve loss. It's it's grieving the reason for that loss, the sin. So as a pastor, I I get invited into a lot of people's brokenness. And I've been invited uh, into a lot of broken marriages, to act as referee or, or um, to try to be some healing agent. And every, every single time, there is a sense of loss. Uh, and the offending spouse, the one who's cheated, uh, always laments, always is grieving the breakdown of the marriage, right? But they're not always grieving the sin. And there is a fundamental difference. A total difference between the person who says, I have sinned against my spouse. My marriage is falling apart because I got to this place. How did I get here? God, forgive me. I need to to change. It's totally different between grieving loss and grieving the sin that caused the loss. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those Who mourn. Blessed are those who see that sin is the the real issue and they grieve it in their own lives and in in the world around them. Now, why is this an attitude that brings about God's blessing? Blessed are those who mourn. It's one of those core values of Christ's kingdom that God cannot help but bless. And I think here's, here's the reason. When you, when you recognize that sin's the real problem, then you can go to the real solution. When you recognize that, that the real enemy to thriving, my own personal thriving and my family's thriving and my friend's thriving and my society's thriving, when you recognize the real enemy to thriving is sin, well, then you are looking for the real solution. Forgiveness from God and growth in in holiness and righteousness in your own life and in the world around you. Now, when I listen to the radio, my favorite talk shows, and I go online and I read The Economist, and uh, I'm never, uh, virtually never, do I hear people saying, the problem is sin. I hear uh, it's economic inequality. The problem is uh, limited access to health care, or uh, limited access to education, lack of opportunity. And these are all things that we should work to address. They are, they are problems. They're not the core problem. And so if you think that the, uh, that the real issue is economic inequality, what solution are you going to provide? Yeah, economic solution. It's only when you recognize the real obstacle to thriving is sin that you go to God and seek forgiveness and, and help by his spirit to live a righteous life. That's why this is an attitude that brings down God's blessing on your life. In Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, see, that's another way of saying blessed are those who mourn. I'll forgive them, and I will heal their land. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Who comforts those who mourn? It's God. God comforts. In fact, and I don't don't normally comment on Greek and Hebrew words, but the word there for comfort is the same root word for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is uh, uh, the paraclete, and the word for comfort is Uh, Paracleo comes from paracleo is the root. And it's the spirit of the living God who comforts us. We are going to be comforted and we're comforted by God. And how does he comfort us? Well, the spirit of the living God comforts us in these six ways. At least these six ways. Number one, God comforts us by assuring us that someday sin will be removed and we will enjoy a perfect world forever. So first off, the Spirit of of God assures us of the promise of God that there's coming a day when the big enemy, sin, is going to be taken out of our existence. There will be no sin anywhere in the universe, and therefore there won't be the brokenness that sin produces. And we get to live forever with God in that glorious future. And that is a great comfort, a great comfort. For the Christian, the best days are always in front of us. Praise the Lord. See, even death can't get in the way of that. There's the big comfort for death. Secondly, God comforts us by forgiving our sins and assuring us that we have fellowship with God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, I write these things to you, my brothers, that you may know that you have eternal life. The spirit of the living God assures us that since we have repented of our sins and placed our faith in Jesus Christ and are united with Him by by, death, uh, by faith, His death has paid the penalty for our sins, and his righteousness has been applied to our account by the grace of God. That's a tremendous comfort. Because we fail, and we know that. We're aware, more than anybody else other than God, we are aware of our own uh, sinfulness. Third way God comforts us, by empowering us to break free from the power and presence of sin. The Spirit of God comforts us by empowering us to grow in holiness, to get rid of those destructive sinful patterns that have enslaved us. And the older I get, the more I recognize sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. And when you, are, when you find yourself saying, I don't want to do that, and you do it anyways, that is slavery. And the Spirit of God helps us break out of that. The fourth way God comforts us, by providing us His peace in the midst of our difficulties. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and that is the uh, result of casting your cares on him for he cares for you so you take your you take your um, loss to the Lord and then he uh, returns that with his peace the fifth way God comforts us is by granting us the grace to endure and here I mean grace in terms of divine empowerment He divinely empowers us to endure the loss that he has uh, called us to walk through. And sometimes I look at other Christians and what they're going through, and I think, would I be able to handle that? But God gives us the grace to walk through what he calls us to walk through, and, and not necessarily before, right? Well, if he calls you to walk through something, he will give you his grace to walk through it with your head held high and in victory. He will give you; will not grant you a temptation that is greater than you can bear. And finally, God comforts us by assuring us that everything that happens in our life is for a good purpose. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And His purpose might be to glorify Himself through our loss. His purpose might be to encourage others because they watch how we are being comforted in, in, in this loss, or it might be to perfect us. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds for the testing of your faith, worketh patience and endurance, and strengthens us. I want to call Melissa up at this time, and I've asked her to sing a song over us that in, in, encapsulates these, uh, this great truth, that blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then when the song is done, we're going to spend some time taking uh, mourning before the Lord and receiving His comfort.
1: without a night of my soul you surround me and sustain with me.
0: Sequence is important. God wants to comfort us, but we have to mourn. Everybody has loss in their life. Everybody needs comforted, but not everybody is being comforted by God. But you are his child, follower of Jesus Christ. Comfort by God is your right, but you got to bring your loss to the Lord. So you know what that is. It might be a loss that's in your life because someone has sinned against you, maybe violently even. It could be a loss because of your own choice. It could be a loss because of someone you love who has made poor choices. Whatever your loss is, take it to God. If someone has hurt you, You take that to the Lord and let him comfort you. I, I'll take care of it. If you sin, let the Lord say to you, I forgive you. You're cleansed. I want you to move forward in life. Someone you love, cast them upon the Lord and upon his mercy. He hears you. It matters to him as well. And So right now, as Melissa continues to sing, name that loss in your life. Mourn it and let the Lord comfort you. Doctors Henry Cloud and John John Townsend say grief is a letting down and a letting go and we cannot let down and let go if we are not being held up if there is not enough love to sustain us we cannot let go of anything God wants to hold us up in our loss he wants to provide us the context of love wherein we can Mourn and be comforted. Boy, this is your right as a child of God, to have God comfort you. Step into it. Take advantage of it. Let us be a people who mourn the destructive power of sin in our own lives and the world around us and let God heal that in our lives.